Emergency Managed. This week, an emergency management committee was punctuated with an actual emergency. Plus, several things are on the way out. The downtown farmer's market, the name Oliver, and Adam Lachlan. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 248. Mac, it occurs to me as I'm looking at what we introduced this episode with that that might be perceived as a slight against the housing and homelessness emergency. I'm not trying to undercut that emergency. We just we just all know what the real emergency was this week, okay? It, it is bigger, all right? We can all agree it's bigger. There are several emergencies ongoing out there, Troy, housing, climate change, you name it. So yes, we're just talking about the particular one that made headlines this week. One thing that's not an emergency is the funding of this podcast. Taproot's a pretty stable organization. We're still going to read you an ad anyway, though. This episode is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. Uh, Did you know the cost of healthy food for a year for a family of four has increased by nearly $5,000 since 2013? Each year, the Edmonton Community Foundation and the Edmonton Social Planning Council produce a report called Vital Signs to measure how the community is doing. The latest report focuses on food security and how it has changed over the past decade and where we are today. You can see the report and learn more at ecfoundation.org slash vital signs. So I think it's best to jump right in, Mac. This is an abnormal week because normally when council doesn't meet for the week, we have not a lot to say. We have quite a lot to say, including something that hopefully remains quite novel in the city of Edmonton, which was we had a shooting incident at Edmonton City Hall. Yes, a man was arrested at Edmonton City Hall earlier this week. He was firing shots and throwing a Molotov cocktail from the second floor of the City Hall atrium. And while this was happening, councillors were pretty close by in the River Valley Room having their meetings, and the whole building went into lockdown. So uh, thankfully, as you've probably heard by now, the suspect was apprehended, An unarmed security guard detained him, and then police responded to the incident and closed down the building in the area to try and uh, make sure everybody was secure. He didn't harm anyone. Nobody, no injuries or anything like that were reported. There's obviously the psychological trauma that comes along uh, with an event such as this. And we saw all of the counselors or most of the counselors posting messages on social media talking about how they were trying to process the events with their staff. You know, I saw some of the members of the media also posting about how it's a bit of a scary thing. We learned later that there was actually a grade one class of students on a field trip at City Hall. I have little kids, as you know. One of them was at the public library just across Churchill Square at the time that this was happening. You know, there's lots of people affected by something that seems like it would only affect a small few. But thankfully, it's what I've heard described as a bit of a Canadian tragedy and that this was a bad thing that happened, but thankfully, nobody was hurt. If any number of things go differently, or indeed that commissionaire did not respond so quickly and detain him really within minutes of uh, starting the activity, we'll call it, within City Hall, this could have gone very, very poorly. You know, it's nice to call it a Canadian tragedy and yeah. things like that. But this this could have gone very poorly, very quickly. And I think we're going to see a response in kind with that eventuality. Uh, Mayor Amarjeet Sohi has already said that there will be changes to security protocols at Edmonton City Hall. We don't know quite what that might entail, but he said he'll be listening to the advice of professionals in that regard. Of course, this isn't the first time there have been changes to security at City Hall. I remember, Troy, when I started reporting, you could just walk right into 
council chambers. There were no metal detectors. There are now. You could walk right up to the councillors behind the desk. There are now glass partitions down there, so I suspect we'll see some additional changes. I did note, however, that several of the councillors, and including the mayor when they were posting about this, took an effort to say that City Hall is an open-to-the-public building. And we don't want our institutions to be, you know, fortresses. We don't want it to be difficult for citizens to be able to participate in the democratic process. And so, you know, whatever they do, they're going to try have to try to find some sort of a balance between real safety improvements and security improvements and that sort of accessible, open to the public, open to the community thing that is so great about City Hall and has been so great about City Hall uh, looking back. One thing we've also heard is that Probably next week, there won't be council meetings. Taproot was trying to confirm this before the recording, but we didn't quite get there. But Troy, you've heard some things about that. Essentially, for a council meeting to proceed, you need two things. You need the councillors and you need city staff, right? There's clerks, there's administrators doing presentations, and then there's also city staff preparing such presentations. This is throwing a wrench into a lot of those operations. Sure, councillors can absolutely meet on Zoom, but clerks have software and hardware that is in City Hall. Even during COVID, many of the clerks did work from offices. And City Hall itself is still damaged. There is broken glass uh, in many of the places where bullets or other uh, damage hit. Once the individual had been apprehended and police had moved in, police had to make sure that the building was clear. And they want to search it quite quickly, you know, to make sure that everything's okay. And there's some amount of damage that occurs when that happens. So, the building will need repairs. It's Gene Dub's famous building. It's not, you don't go to Home Depot to fix mm. City Hall. You know, right. there's some custom glass to be ordered. I expect City Hall itself will be out of commission to the public for quite a while and will remain out of commission to the staff who also need emotional time to recover. This is a pretty scary thing. And I doubt any counselor is saying, no, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, get back to work. We have some bureaucracy to cover. I expect we're going to err with a side of, let's come back when we're all ready. Let's just take a breather and assess all this situation. If I was betting my money, we're probably not going to have meetings next week. And because we're pushing some stuff, the most important stuff will get routed through agenda review, which means on February 9th, Mac, that uh, rescheduled pedestrianization meeting that's already been rescheduled twice, I'd bet all the money in my pockets that's not happening February 9th. I mean, if they re could reschedule the uh, police funding formula three or four or five times, what's another reschedule on a pedestrianization report, I suppose, right? Yeah, I think you're probably right. It's going to have a knock-on effect on all of the agenda items that are coming up. Another potential thing that I was thinking about, I don't, I don't know why this is the case, but Council meets in council chambers, and committees tend to meet in the River Valley Room. So it's one of the rooms off to the side. It's a smaller room. I wonder if they'll make a change so that all of the meetings just happen in council chambers. They don't happen simultaneously, so they could just use the same room. And it would seem to me to be easier to secure one room as opposed to multiple rooms. But maybe it's irrelevant because it's about the building and not the room. Yeah, I mean, if I had to speculate, uh, I've spoken at a lot of committee meetings, and Council and council chambers, it feels like you're making a presentation to council. Mm. You know, there's a very sort of like adversarial type scenario. In the River Valley Room, it really feels like you're talking to councillors. So in terms of the feeling of collecting feedback as committee means to do, I can see an advantage to the River Valley Room from that regard. But, you know, if it comes at the expense of installing a bunch of infrastructure, that's going to have to be weighed, especially given the context of OP12 and our budget requirements in the city. One other thing on this, Troy, that I noticed, so we talked a little bit about what might 
happen as we look ahead. Looking back a little bit to earlier this week, I was surprised, and maybe I shouldn't be, but I was surprised at how quickly this incident was used for political purposes. So as I mentioned, several of the counselors, Joanne Wright and others, and Stevenson, were posting things to social media saying, we're safe, we're processing, thank you to the staff who, who acted so quickly to keep everyone safe and diffuse the situation. And then we saw the former head of the police association and other you know, people who represent the police criticizing those statements, saying, counselor, why couldn't you say thank you to the police who responded to this? And we heard one of the sergeants or someone like that, I can't remember the name, I should look this up, but some current officers spoke to the media and said, thanks to the quick action of the, the security guard and Edmonton police, this suspect was apprehended, almost sort of taking credit for something that that unarmed security guard really bravely, you know, took the first steps on. So now I'm not saying that the police did not respond. They obviously came. They had an important role to play. They had to sweep the building, as you say. They had to make sure everything was secure. But for representatives to so quickly say, oh, my God, we do this every day. We run into the line of fire. How could you not thank us in your social media post seemed a bit quick <laughs> as, a, as a way to politicize this event. This wasn't a January 6th event right. at City Hall, but this is the first step towards something like a January 6th event at City Hall. Uh, it's all a matter of degrees and a matter of acceptability and moving that Overton window. And I hope what's met here is a strong rejection of this type of escalation of rhetoric. As I'm saying this, though, Tucker Carlson was here just last night and Mac, I'm not confident we're going to see a de-escalation of rhetoric. I share your concern on that front. I will say uh, on a good news aspect of this, one of the things that I was very heartened by, Global News did some reporting on what I'd call the Mr. Rogers people. You know, Mr. Rogers is always like, when something bad is happening, look for the helpers. Look at the people in the background who are helping. Yeah. And there were plenty of stories of people being the helpers. There was, of course, the commissioner who detained this individual, but there were staff at the Stanley Milner, which you said your kid was at, that helped keep people calm, keep people safe while police responding. There was staff in City Hall who both called police and directed people to safe rooms, who kept their cool under a really tense situation. And of course, you said there was a grade one class in City Hall. So the people who were making sure that these grade ones were not scarred for life, that these grade ones felt like the situation was under control and that they were safe, these people were all unsung heroes during this event. And, you know, I'm glad we have those people in Edmonton. You hear about places like Uvalde in Texas and how the system failed everyone involved in that situation. And I like to think that probably can't happen here because of all of the helpers, all of the people who step up. Mac, we're going to have to hard transition out of this. So we're going to switch back into our bread and butter fair. Let's talk about single-use plastic items. A real hard shift right there. But council has unanimously agreed in their utility committee to increase the fees for certain single-use items beginning on July 1st. So this is what was already scheduled to happen. Fees were going to increase from $0.15 cents to $0.25 cents for paper bags and from $1 to $2 for reusable bags. Council had directed administration to explore other options based mainly, I think, on the uproar from the public about these uh, additional costs and, and maybe legitimate concerns about how effective this is as a tool to reduce waste and, and have positive impact on 
climate change in our city. Administration did so. They brought back uh, four options for this, including, you know, keeping the paper bag fee, which is, I think it's fair to say, been the most controversial one, the, the drive-through bag fee at 15 cents, but, you know, keeping the uh, reusable bag fee to increase. Delaying the increase was an option, maybe creating different rates for different kinds of businesses. But in the end, as you say, committee just kept the status quo and went ahead with the already planned increase as of July 1st. So, Troy, I got to say, I was a bit surprised by that. I would have expected this committee to sort of, this is not the right word, but cave to the public pressure a little bit and uh, and recognize that people hate paying 15 cents to McDonald's and they're going to hate paying 25 cents to McDonald's even more. Yeah, and indeed, they didn't just pass this, Mac. They passed it unanimously inclusive of Councillor Tim Cartmel, the chair of Utility Committee, uh, who had been quite critical of the bag fee in the past. I think it was interesting that, you know, some of the feedback the public had received is dubious efficacy of this bag fee. And administration didn't really counter that in their report. Uh, They presented no tangible evidence that this is helping. Not that they were presenting evidence that it wasn't helping. It's just we don't really have data to prove that this is quite accomplishing our goals. But one could reason uh, with intuition and with anecdotal evidence that, yeah, fewer people are probably using single-use items after this. You and I both can represent that in our personal experience. Yes. But at the end of the day, This is one of those things where do we need administration to prove elasticity of pricing? Economic theory, pretty well understood. You increase the price of something, fewer people will buy it. And if you're putting a price on something that is undesirable, like single-use waste, it stands to reason you're going to reduce that amount of waste. I think that's right. The city did say that a waste study, which should have some more detailed insights on this, is is due back in 2025. So maybe we'll get a little bit of information about the efficacy of this program, but you're right. Tasking our city staff with going and, you know, proving theory that's already well proven does not seem like a good use of resources. Well, to my knowledge, there's not another scheduled increase. So I guess now the final increase July 1 will be where it's at until a future council it'll likely be a future council, uh, decides they want to do something different. The neighborhood of formerly known as Oliver, I suppose, is also trying something different. Uh, After a multi-year reflection, including a lot of community consultation, the campaign Uncover Oliver started in 2020 to, you know, detail the history of Frank Oliver, who we don't need to recap on this podcast, wasn't a great dude, is the summary. And the Community League has proposed a new name for the league and for the broader community pending council approval. Yeah, so the new name is a Cree word that means circle of friends. It is Wequentuin, they landed on. I like that circle of friends. I think that's a a pretty good meaning for this. As you say, it still has to go to city council for approval for the neighborhood, but this would be a change to the neighborhood, to the community league, and one would think to Oliver School and other institutions in the future once the neighborhood name becomes official. So uh, this is a positive step forward in terms of removing some of that problematic history in what is Edmonton's most densely populated neighborhood. Of note, uh, this is a question I had, so I assume some of our listeners may have it. They may have seen We Quent Win capitalized or not capitalized, depending on where you were looking. And I was trying to figure out 
precisely why. I talked to uh, Emily Riddle, who uh, many people will know from these circles and uh, Indigenous activism. And what she told me is essentially the capitalization comes from whoever gifts the name. And in this case, Elder Jerry Saddleback, he tends to gift names with capital letters. This is a choice of the giver of the name. It's not bound by conventions of proper nouns or English language in that way. Uh, So at least for the time being, my advice and her advice is capitalize We Quentuin. I will say for the listeners who are struggling with We Quentuin, because I posted on Reddit and I know some listeners are struggling, some other words I would like to remind you that you know are Saskatchewan, Kananaskis, Wetaskiwin, Schwarzenegger, Pugliarvi, and Gretzky. (laughs) All of these words, they don't sound how they look like they're spelled, and you know how to say them. And you'll know how to say them in two years when Horlack Park opens again. I promise you'll get used to it. Just like you'll get used to the absence of the downtown farmer's market. It's on its way out. This is the uh, market that was moved over near the quarters from its former outdoor location on 104th Street. Uh, It used to be an outdoor market that closed the street and then it moved indoor right around the pandemic. And there was a, I'll call it emergency, but urgent letter sent uh, by the directors of the farmer's market, basically saying that the next market date of January 28th is like to be the last. Uh, They will be meeting on January 27th to make a final decision, but the uh, market is looking at pursuing bankruptcy. So this is probably a future episode for us, Troy. I think we could do a whole thing about the city market, given that I've been covering this for well over 15 years now. (laughs) Uh, It was one of the reasons I moved to 104th Street in the first place, actually, because we loved that market so much. I think it's really sad that an organization, an institution really in this city that's been around for more than 120 years is now facing bankruptcy and about to shut down. And I am not one of the people who has been eagerly awaiting the market's return to 104th Street. So we've all heard that they were planning to leave the GWG building, return to 104th Street in some capacity. They're looking at the former Emergency Relief Services building, uh, which is on 103rd Avenue. But they said that plan might likely not happen now because of, uh, of this financial situation. And, you know, we know that the board of the market changed quite significantly last year. And so, you know, you kind of have the situation where you've got fresh eyes, fresh directors. They come in and they look at the situation and they say, oh, like this is not tenable. Something needs to be done here. But as I said, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for them. I mean, I feel like there was an inflection point back in 2012 when the market board at that time, you know, really tried to get rid of any external representation, residents and community members, really focused on a small handful of vendors running the show when they moved over to the new building. Yes, they had some costs, but for the most part, it was handed to them on a silver platter. The city had an interest in making the quarters work, and this is one of the things they wanted to do to make it work. And all the market did in that time was refuse to go back outside, talk only about the free parking, even though we know no one goes for the parking, and exclude vendors because of competitive concerns. And so it's not a huge surprise that the market is a shadow of its former self and has, in my eyes, not a surprise that it's it's ended up in this situation. A disappointment and sad, given this is an institution, but not necessarily a surprise. So it remains to be seen what happens on January 27th. We've already seen others 
come forward and say they want to do something about this. Unsurprisingly, the Downtown Business Association is now you know, more actively engaged with the city. It's good for downtown to have a market downtown. And so they want to try and do something about that. We've also seen a small group of vendors that have sort of broken off and have committed to sort of trying to build their own market around this. So we'll see what happens here. Let's not forget that one of the, in addition to their self-inflicted wounds on this, one of the other pressures that they have faced this time that maybe they didn't over the previous 120 years of their history is other really effective, well-run markets. I'm thinking of like Bountiful Market, for instance, which is in a, in my mind, terrible location. You have to drive to it. It is not walkable or, or easy to get to on transit or anything like that. And yet vendors are doing very well there because people are actually shopping there and they've grown and they have a lot of vendors and they keep attracting new vendors and, and they've done the things to make that market an experience that the 104th Street market used to be and the people who were in charge of it at the time they left 104th Street did not appreciate. I think you're right that this is a loss of institution. I don't think this is gone forever. I think 104th Street is still there. I think there's a very obvious viability of returning to outdoor markets. Someone's going to do it. Whether it's the DBA, whether it's a revamp of the Farmer's Market Board, or whether it's a new upstart, I don't think we're going to see markets disappear from downtown. And hopefully some new fresh life will reinvigorate the community spirit and bring something that works for downtown nights as an experience rather than market politics, which I'm told can be quite, quite a handful. Indeed. Well, we'll report back on what happens after the potential last day. And if you have one of those city market bags, hang on to it. It might be a collector's item. Of course, the market isn't the only one that has been dealing with a new board and changes. Edmonton Unlimited, which Taproot wrote about, has had a new board for a bit of time now and has decided to replace the CEO, Catherine Warren, who we talked to on a previous episode. She's now out as the CEO of Edmonton Unlimited, and uh, they're going to begin a search with Lana Espeslet stepping in as the interim CEO. Yeah, Tim Querengesser, our managing editor, wrote the story this week. He spoke with the board chair of Edmonton Unlimited, Lindsay Dodd, who explained a little bit about how the board was reconstituted last year. There was some concern about how the organization had been run with the previous board. There was some consternation in the community. And so one of the things that happened was only two of the original board of directors remain and the rest of the board is new. Evidently, they've come to the conclusion that they think they need somebody different to run the show and to take the organization forward. Now, Lindsay Dodd was quick to point out that Catherine Warren didn't do anything wrong. Uh, this is not like they are firing her for cause or anything like that. And they applauded the many accomplishments that she did make during her time leading the organization, really, you know, building the staff, securing the new building, securing funding, things like that. But they feel like they need a, a set of new leadership skills to take it to the next level. I will say so far, the conversation about this has been pretty quiet. I suspect there's a lot of behind closed doors conversa conversations happening about whether this is a good or bad thing for the innovation community. Hopefully, their search will bring the right person on board who can, you know, help Edmonton take advantage of the many advantages that we have and uh, and maybe stop falling so far behind Calgary. I had two thoughts when I was reading this. The first is you and I are both tech people. Uh, and the one thing that I know about tech people is they're curmudgeonly. Uh, I don't know that 
curmudgeonly opinions from a tech community necessarily means that anything is going wrong at any particular point. That's true. It's our natural state of being to complain. The other thing is that the board chair, Lindsay Dodd, I was unfamiliar with the new structure of the board. And I found out that Lindsay Dodd, of course, in Tim's reporting, is the CEO of Cashco Financial, which you may know from such greatest hits as Pawn Chops and Loan Sharks. Maybe that's not the way that uh, Lindsay Dodd would prefer to be framing that, but it did raise some questions in my mind. What is the tie that someone like Cashco would have to the tech and innovation community in Edmonton? And how did we come to rally behind Lindsay as this is the representative and the CEO of Cashco is who we want chairing the innovation community? So I, your opinion, our, our listeners' opinion about Cashco Financial aside, what I can say about Lindsay Dodd is that it's not that he has zero connection to the innovation community. And I suspect the reason he was selected to be the board chair of Edmonton Unlimited had everything to do with those other connections and nothing to do with the, the Cashco Financial one. So for example, for several years, he's been one of the mentors at the Venture Mentoring Service program that's run out of the University of Alberta, which helps entrepreneurs and startups you know, do their thing. He's a member of the A100 and an angel investor with Valhalla Angels, which is a group focused on innovation companies. So he's got some experience there. He's one of the partners in Sprout Fund, which has made several investments in local tech companies and tech companies throughout Western Canada. Um, he formerly ran an IT company that was, you know, merged with another IT company, CompuVision, here in Edmonton. So he's got some experience, I would say, working with, you know, supporting entrepreneurs and building startups and things like that. I don't know why Lindsay went to be CEO of Cashco and what the situation is there. I mean, ideally, it pays well. Ideally, yeah. I mean, I suspect he was named board chair mainly for those other connections and his experience and history sort of trying to help grow the innovation community here in Edmonton. The previous board chair was the CEO of uh, Williams Engineering, so also not a hugely strong connection to tech and innovation or to the kinds of startups that we think about when we think about tech and innovation in Edmonton. Of course, I mean, the people with the closest connections to startups are probably the ones running them, and by nature, they don't want to sit on a board. They want to iterate and move fast and break things. Your check's in the mail, Mark Zuckerberg. And finally, we'll transition to the last person that is out this week. There's been a lot of outs this week. And that's a big one. Adam Lachlan was the deputy city manager of integrated infrastructure services at the city. I think it is fair to call Adam Lachlan the number two at the city. He was city manager for a stint, stepping in during some transitionary periods. And, you know, I've heard from many a city employee that they really like Adam. They're really loyal to Adam. They think he had a great vision. Indeed, Adam had stepped in not just during a transitionary period, but during COVID. Like he was the, de the the city manager, acting city manager during the pandemic and, you know, had to work in a really, really challenging, difficult situation. I think he earned a lot of respect from then Mayor Don Iveson, the rest of council and uh, a large chunk of the administration, the staff there. So, yeah, it's it's kind of disappointing to see someone like him leave the city. I think he had a lot of talents and, and accomplished quite a bit. Now, you, you know, people make jokes about as him being in charge of infrastructure, how successful was he really with <laughs> trains delayed and bridge issues and all the rest of it. But I think, as you point out, Adam Lachlan was widely liked at the city and, and uh, respected for the work that he did do. He's obviously not the first person in senior leadership to leave. We've now, what are we at, five or six? 
We talked earlier on the show about Stephanie McCabe leaving. We talked about Catherine Owen and Kim Armstrong back in March who left. And, and this one's similar in that it was a personal decision of Adams to leave. But really, it's hard to avoid the perspective here that Andre Corbold is cleaning house, really, and, uh, and, and getting rid of all the old lieutenants. Troy from the booth here reminding you that it's pronounced lieutenants. Thanks. And not necessarily replacing them with new ones. Of course, there are some replacements coming. We heard a press release this week that there will be a new communications role at the city of Edmonton. Uh, the individual hasn't started yet, but there's some effort to replace. I do wonder, of course, we're never going to know, we weren't in the room where it happened, whether Adam was dismissed or chose to leave. But if I had to put money on it, I wouldn't say he was dismissed. As an outsider, if I'm pretending to be Adam Lachlan and using my outsider knowledge to put myself in his shoes, I see myself as someone who, like you said, led through COVID, several big accomplishments like the Valley Line and ensuing Valley Line audit under my belt, you know, stewarding some of these things through the pipeline. And I see Andre Corbald, who we've talked for the past couple episodes, is struggling as city manager in terms of getting an agenda that aligns with council's vision and aligns with the city plan through and funded in a way that council is happy with. And, you know, from Adam's perspective, he was well-respected within the organization. I assume a lot of staff looked up to him and looked to him for direction when it got passed down through the city manager. And I would, I've worked under people who I disagree with before, and that would be a very frustrating situation for me. I'm not saying Adam Lachlan disagreed, but you know, if I was going out on a high and I saw the ship veering towards an iceberg, I might chose to get on a lifeboat and paddle away and make some bank in the private sector off my accomplishments. I think that's a fair assessment. Adam Lachlan did say that the choice to leave my position with the city was my decision and it is something I've been reflecting on for some time, potentially since Sandra Corbold was hired. <laughs> Just one last thing. You know, Adam's been on the show before, and uh, I found him to be very forthcoming and genuine and honest in his answers to us. So I had a good conversation with him. So yeah, it's unfortunate when you see great people leave the city. If you want to revisit that episode, that's episode 128 of Speaking Municipally. Of course, there's a couple other things that are coming up next week, maybe, you know, Council schedule notwithstanding, we're expecting to see a new public space bylaw come through. This is the one you might have seen reporting about that would ban open drug use and panhandling with a fine. Also bans microphones and loudspeakers. Think street preacher on the corner. Uh, that would be illegal under this bylaw. Can we ban leaf blowers too? Is that on there? That's not on there, which is Ugh. a critical oversight. Speak at committee. Uh, but it does, Mac. You'll be glad to know this handle the most important concern of Edmontonians, it is prohibited now to stage an improvised musical on a bus. So can't do that anymore. There's no fun anymore. There's no fun anymore. Also on the agenda is maybe just a strike of the union of the city of Edmonton, uh, CSU 52. This is the union that's basically everyone that works for the city of Edmonton. Think transit, libraries, staff, and clerks. So, you know, everyone is potentially going to a strike because the negotiation with the city of Edmonton has broken down. They, the city's proposed 7.25% over five years. Isn't that what the police got in one year? Yeah, uh, council got 2.4% this last year, um, which I imagine went over like a lead balloon at some of the union discussions. They're in the cooling off period now, but more to come on that. Well, we're not in the cooling off period. We're in the rapid firing up 
period uh, with the rapid fire segment. With their 14th win in a row, the Edmonton Oilers have cleared the record for the longest win streak for a Canadian NHL team. But Captain Connor McDavid says they don't plan to stop here and they're fighting for the next record. At 18 wins, they'll beat the Penguins for the longest win streak in NHL history. And at 20 wins, they'll beat Jennifer Rice's win streak over her employees' contracts. A 72-million-year-old sturgeon fossil was discovered in Edmonton, the first fossil of a new species now named Boreosturian labyrinthicus. The fish called the area near Capilano Park home during the Cretaceous period, which incidentally is the last time anyone was able to afford homes in Canada. Disgraced and dismissed Fox News host Tucker Carlson spoke to an event in Edmonton's Rogers Place Wednesday evening. The event, which Carlson described as sold out, had 7,500 attendees in a 20,000-seat stadium, with 4,000 of the tickets being given away for free. When asked about the, quote, sold-out claim, he simply replied, quote, those 12,500 seats were administered by Dominion Voting System, so it's not a surprise that they messed that up. Speaking Municipally is a publication of Taproot Edmonton, and we want to talk again about the Taproot Edmonton calendar. We talked about this last week, but Mac, let's load up edmonton.taproot.events where you can find the calendar and see what's coming up. We're not going to read what's happening today because we record a day before you hear that. That wouldn't be exceedingly helpful, but happening in the next seven days, of course, Made in Italy is still doing its final run at the Citadel. And since our last episode, I've had a friend reach out and say it was a startlingly good show and i've since bought tickets so i'll be seeing it on friday uh this is your last chance this weekend to see that one of course edmonton chinatown dining week i was gonna say you've got a marquee event to plug last day for uh chinatown dining week is january 28th they've got 24 restaurants doing dining and takeout i've already had more than my fair share of takeout uh, during this week and uh, probably be a little bit more before it all comes to a close on January 28th. And of course, Winterruption Yeg. This is an event that tends to happen just about every year. And it's a live music in the winter. This is hosted at the Starlight Room. You can see all manner of music, comedy, craft beer, and all sorts of stuff. All that and more is on the edmonton.taproot.events calendar. When we launched this just before Christmas, we were talking about dozens of events and then we got to hundreds of events, and Troy, we're very rapidly approaching thousands of events. So uh, our goal with the calendar is to keep you informed about things that are happening you know, in the next seven days, but also further out, so you can help plan what you want to get to. So you can use the filters at the website to find things that are coming up in the future, to narrow it down by category, and we're uh, always making improvements. So check it out at edmonton.taproot.events. Yeah, speaking of events that are coming up in September, Avril Lavigne is coming back to town and you can't get tickets because they're basically sold out. So you should have been on that earlier, dear listener. Uh, I, in fact, did get my tickets. So oh, whoever's done. there, I'll see you there singing Skater Boy at the top of our lungs. But our lungs need a break. And so we will spin them up again next week. Until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking, speaking Municipally. municipally.